I don't know, you were able to pay attention to the lyrics of the song as you were walking in, but the lyrics were, there's joy in the house of the Lord. And I'll tell you what, I walked in that door, everybody's talking and engaged, and just the joy is here. That was awesome. Really, really good. Can we universally agree that it should be outlawed, just outlawed, to go from 70 to 30 in a single day? It's time. It's time to pass a law. It's just wrong. (laughs) It is wrong. It's wrong for Illinois. It's wrong for America. Don't do this. I'd vote for that. We came off this week of talking about suffering, and God says, one more reminder. (laughs) This is what it feels like. So, oh, it's chilly. My hand is, anyway, I'm cold. Hi. Hi. You're wearing this for a reason? Very big reason. Uh, There's an understated rivalry that has swung in a positive direction, Uh, the the rivalry between Illinois and Iowa, and the Gearman family made a mistake, so did the Barnes family, they made a mistake and sent their daughters to uh, to Iowa to go to the University of Iowa and become Hawkeyes, and and we've been desperately trying to bring them back to the light, Uh, and tonight it will be just another example of why they should have chosen the in-state school because the orange and blue are going to take them down again tonight. So Wow. Okay. You heard it. There it is. You don't want that who smoke. Did, who did you want to win the Super Bowl? The Bears. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so we got an idea of the way it works for you. Good. <laughs> good, good, good. Hey, you got, you got yesterday's update that came out and uh, two things that are just really really on there to focus on. And one, of course, is we're moving into week five of Rooted. We're moving from talking about suffering to talking about the enemy of our soul, talking about Satan, talking about temptation, talking about strongholds. So in many ways, I think it's going to be a, um, it's going to be a tough week, you know, to just take that on head first, dive into it. Uh, but, but it's necessary. It's vital if we're going to grow in Christ uh, to, to focus on that. So the thing I really want to encourage you, so this is, this is going to be the fifth week of devotionals. You remember that one of the rhythms that we're trying to establish through this is daily time with God, mm-hmm. daily time in prayer, daily time in, in the Word of God, and those devotionals are helping to establish that. So let's say now you've been doing Rooted for all of these weeks, and the last two weeks you find or found yourself doing the um, oh my word, group is in 10 minutes, I better start reading fast mode. This is a great opportunity to regroup, reset, and say, this week, this week, daily, I'm going to get on this. Mm-hmm. I'm going I'm to take these in daily. So uh, really important to, to establish that daily rhythm. And, and you've seen by now, they're not particularly long, no. you know? So anything to add to that? Well, t- yeah, two things. Uh, hmm. First off, I, I have an established rhythm with doing this at school, but I always bring it home on the weekend and I kind of read over the week again, just brief overview before we get here on Sunday. And I left it in my desk drawer. And so yesterday morning, I actually went out to breakfast with, um, with some of our student leaders and, and everything in New Lenox. And when I got home, my plan was to pop open the book and kind of go through review. And I was like, oh no, like it, it has gotten to the point where not having it is something like the craving is there. Awesome. I, I want Wonderful. I want that established yep. um, that established daily reading, even if it is just my Saturday review. Mm-hmm. It is mm-hmm. it, so in my life. It is it's moved in in a big swing, big swing, big swinging way. I think this week, this past week with students was really awesome because we actually because our our uh, curriculum is shorter. 
we hit strongholds last Sunday night, and we had a really interesting time where our adults actually left the room, mm. and we had our students just talk about the things that are really taking a hold Finding of their them. lives mm-hmm. and pulling, pulling their attention and their focus away from God. And there was some, some, open, some openness, some honesty, and some, some really good, tough conversations. Um, so as, as the rest of us get into that, I think uh, that use them as an encouragement to, to be open and to be, uh, to be fully there. That's great. I love it. On this 30-degree day, we are going to talk about something that will happen in a warmer season. And end of the end of June, we get the chance to gather together for, for Quest. It's our opportunity to minister to uh, first to sixth graders, mm-hmm. uh, gather with them for several days, and enjoy that time together. It's always hard when you're talking about a, talking about a ministry like that to say the most important role at, at whatever is, because obviously every piece is important. I mean, when we read the Scripture, it talks about the body and, you know, all the pieces of the body are vital, and there are pieces that are not as visible that are actually without them. We would stop. You know, you could live without a finger. You're going to have a hard time living without a heart. You see this every day. You never see that. So, uh, it, you know, to say this is most important, that is most important, sometimes there can be a little bit of danger in that. But small group guide is the most important <laughs> role at camp. <laughs> it's just you can't have students at camp without small group guides. Mm-hmm. We, we, that, that's, that's the key right there. We can, do, we can do the upfront stage stuff. We can do singing. We can do all that stuff. But, but it's really, it's the guide who is taking six to eight kids throughout the day, walking with them throughout the day, interpreting the day, wiping a nose, doing all those things that keep that kid engaged throughout the day. And so I really want to call on you to look at, look at that week and ask yourself the question, can I, can I give up four days? Can I give up four days in order to minister closely to some kids? We, we made some, I think, uh, good adjustments from last year to this year in terms of the way small group leading is going to be working. So if, you know, if last year you felt like, oh, this is just, it's complicated or I'm struggling, I think the, the suggestions that were made were, were brought in, and I think we've got a really good, really good approach to the small group leader role. So uh, I've done this. I did it a few years back. I loved it. It was, a, it was a great role to be a part of. And I think even as, as different people have been involved in Quest throughout the years, you know, whether it's you're on a stage or singer or whatever, it, it's good to spend a week and go, this year I'm going to small group lead. Because I think it really, it shows you all of camp from a kid's perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, the small group uh, guide is also the place where it's one thing to be upfront making the presentation of the gospel, the presentation of the ABCs. It's another thing to be sitting with the kid and saying, so where are you with this? And to walk them through that. You, you get to be the midwife or the mid-husband yeah. in the process of bringing children into the family of God. Yeah, as you say, <clears throat> the, you know, you're wiping noses and walking kids everywhere, that sounds like a glorified babysitter, and that's not what this role yeah. is. It's, it's a really neat opportunity to spend, spend time with those kids, ministering to them, teaching them, leading them, uh, in a way that, that honors God. And I, I think the, the chance to have those conversations, the gospel conversations with a child, will greatly impact how you approach friends, family, coworkers, because you've had to break it down in its simplest form for a kid, whether they're second, third, fourth, whatever grade, it's going to simplify the process later on. So just a, a really valuable option for you if, if you can take those four days off. So, the, you know, the bottom line of it all is you can only have as many kids as you have small group leader guides. 
We are, we are very hopeful this year to see the group of kids we've been ministering to expand. Last year, we had that COVID year. People were literally coming out of their house. Kids hadn't been back to school. So I think our population was down a little bit. And having said that, it was still pretty good. It was still healthy. So we're, we're anticipating this year that that'll go even higher. But we will quite literally camp it according to the number of small group guides that we have and so uh, I, I want to encourage you especially, my goodness, especially, if you're a guy and you have the ability to take four days off of work in order to come do this, we would love to see you come be a part of this. Uh, I, I think there are, so many, there are so many things in the dynamic of a man leading kids that are, that's vital, but I'll tell you what, it's also what it does to you. The kid, the, the, the guy being led, led by the kid and having that heart softened because of that time together during the week is, it's incredible and it's essential. So, um, so there it is. Get, get those in there. I do want to put a little shout out there too in the first part I mentioned, or the second part I mentioned, uh, Screw Tape Letters. What a phenomenal book by C.S. Lewis. And uh, you said it's actually, you can listen to it on Spotify. Yeah, it's a, it's a great story. <laughs> it's written in a series of letters by this under demon to his, uh, to his nephew, who's a, a demon in training, and they're trying to pull this person away from God. It's a really unique perspective on, on the battles that we go through, and they tackle all the different topics that, that the Bible does, pride, lust, jealousy, all these things, uh, in a super unique way. And it is, as we just said, on Spotify, the reading is fantastic. I was actually listening to the last bit of it on my way in here uh, this morning. And the, the guy who does the reading for it on Spotify specifically is, is wonderful. So it, it's th a three-hour read. I, cut it, I put the times 1.5 on, so I cut it down to an hour and a half. It is, it is just a really, really cool, uh, really cool listen. And it's, again, just a totally unique perspective on, on those battles. Yeah, I think it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. So thanks, thanks for that commendation. Every week of Rooted, there's been a, there's been a verse that we've been potentially committing to memory. I think if you, if you didn't commit last week's to memory, would you please go back, look at it, and get it into your heart. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be named, made known to God. And when we do that, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That is, that is a vital tool in the, in the arsenal for the believer. That's a verse you need. We all are pushed toward moments of anxiety. That verse, the Spirit can bring that to recall. It's vital. This one just talks about our spiritual state. He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his dear son. So you have, you have that transfer that took place. Uh, the enemy had, our, had us, had our souls at birth, and we've been released from that prison by Christ. So uh, we're going to be looking at passage of scripture for our reading uh, this morning from Ephesians chapter 6. Paul uses the battle analogy, the battle analogy to talk about what's going on between us and the enemy. And so these are familiar verses. Brad, if you go ahead and read them for us. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor, so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body 
armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. To prepare our hearts to confront the enemy this morning and his, the reality of him as well as our tact, his tactics, uh, we're going to be going to communion. So, and, and for communion this morning, our, our team is going to be leading us in a, in a new song, one that uh, you might be familiar with. Uh, it's, it's brand new to me outside of Shelley saying, listen to this. But it's, it's an incredible song. I think it really, it really works uh, with moving our minds and hearts into the spirit of being guided by the spirit of God and not by, not by the spirit of evil. Um, there are two dynamics at play this week in our world that prepare our hearts uniquely uh, for communion today. One, of course, is the, just watching the evil unfold of a, of a dictator who's trying to overtake a smaller country. And, you know, I, more than once watching images, I thought, wow, what would it have been like to receive images like this of World War II as it happened? For, for guys to literally be wearing helmet cams as they went into D-Day and whatever. We're, we're, seeing, we're seeing war in, in a way that I, I don't know that we've ever captured before, especially this kind of war where an aggressor just says, I want your property, let's go, and blowing up apartments or whatever it is. So, so that, that battle analogy, I think, for us is very strong today. And then the idea that on Wednesday was Ash Wednesday, today's the first day of Lent, mm-hmm. and Lent is a season of, it's a season of repentance, it's a season of reflection, to look at from dust we came to dust we will return, and, and God wants us to live in a constant state of repentance. So, so as you walk to communion today, one of the prayers that you can be praying is, God, forgive me. Forgive me for the sins that I've knowingly committed as well as the ones I'm not aware of. I want to come to you today with a clean heart. Please forgive me. And so, God, we, we long today for you to give us your forgiveness as we walk to the communion table. Help us to be reminded of the sacrifice of Jesus, that we don't have to work for our forgiveness. You've done the work and we receive that work in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Two tables at the front, several at the back, gluten-free on either side of the platform as well as a gluten-free in the back. Let's go to communion. We find ourselves in agreement with that prayer this morning, Lord Jesus, that the Spirit the Father sent after you were gone is now in us and with us We pray that we would know he is resting on us. And even as we take the time to to take a closer look at the enemy of our souls today, Lord, I pray that your spirit would protect us. We, We pray those words, lead us not into temptation, but protect us, God, from the evil one. And we know that that protection comes through your spirit. Guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Help us to look at the enemy in a way that is um, clear-eyed, one that is not anxious, one that recognizes him for who he is, and that is ready to do battle in the Spirit of God, we pray. Amen. So, we jump out of the frying pan and into the fire. Last week we talked about suffering, and today we go to the enemy of our souls. We talk about Satan. The one being who is thrilled when you suffer. He loves when you suffer. Because every time you suffer, 
In his eyes, it's the possibility this is the time he will finally drive you from the arms of God. He will finally get you to reject, to rebel, to walk away, to be disappointed, discouraged, to get you in a state that you'll say, I want nothing more to do with God. I love this statement that Joseph makes to his brothers. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And every time we suffer, those two things are at play. God can use all things to bring about the very best purposes for us and for his world when we suffer. And at the same time, Satan can use those very same events to drive us to a dark place, to drive us to a place of separation from God. It's important that we look at and understand the enemy, who he is and how he works. And that's what we'll be doing today, looking at his identity and then looking at his tactics. So in in just real kind of list form, bullet point, here we go. Our enemy, who is he? Well, our enemy is real. He is absolutely real. There are those in our world who who are... um, Secular, those in our world who who pride themselves on being very intelligent, grounded in science, all that sort of stuff, that when you start talking about Satan, they look at you like you believe in Mother Goose. What is your problem? They look at you and think, how in the world can you not be more modern, more advanced? You really believe in the boogeyman? I mean, do you check under your bed every night to see if you're going to get attacked? They mock it. They criticize it it because it just doesn't fit with their worldview. But believe it or not, they're even religious people. There are theologians, theologians who look at Satan and they say, neat concept. They view him as a, as a personification of evil, but they don't view him as a person. They don't view him as a real entity. They look at him as kind of a, you've got to have a God and an anti-God. You've got to have this thing going. And so they personify it with Satan. Well, here's the thing. Satan is absolutely, positively, 100% real. How do I know it? Jesus said it. Jesus said it. In Luke chapter 10, his disciples, 72 people, have gone out healing, casting out demons, all these things, and they come back and they gather with him. And in the gathering, they're shocked, they're surprised. They report to the Lord and they say, Lord, even though demons obey us when we use your name, We say your name, demons tremble. They flee. What does Jesus say? Yes, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. He's referring to Isaiah chapter 14, where it talks about Satan's rebellion against God, where where his pride swelled to such a point that he said, I will ascend the holy hill. I will be God. I will take God's place. And in the process, he was cast out of heaven along with many of the angels that joined him in rebellion. Jesus said, I saw it with my own eyes. I saw Satan cast down from heaven like lightning. Now, here's the thing. If I can't believe that Jesus meant those words then when he said it, how can I believe it when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. How can I believe him when he says, if you ask anything in my name, your Father hears you. How can I believe anything if I pick and choose and say, well, that statement of Jesus, he didn't really mean that. You got you to take it in perspective. What does the Greek say? All that. No, Jesus said he's real. And if Jesus said he's real, I've got news for you. He's real. I love, we've already mentioned screw tape letters this morning. And even before looking at this section of Rooted, there was a quote that came to my mind. It's a quote that's been in my head for a long, long time. 
It's a quote by C.S. Lewis when he's talking in screw tape letters about the, the perspectives that people take on Satan, on devils, on, on the concept of demons. He says there are two equal opposite errors into which our race, we as people, fall into about evil people, about devils. One is to displease, disbelieve in their existence And the other is to believe and even feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Because both extremes are bad news. To pretend they're not is a problem. But some of us even today are like, oh, this stuff. And you want to dig into it and you want to understand it. And then you start getting frightened by it. And you allow allow fear, which is one of Satan's prime tactics, to rule your heart. He says, you are neither to ignore them, nor are you to be obsessed by them. You're supposed to have a healthy perspective. Jesus said he's real. He's real. So what more can we know about him? Well, we know that he's powerful. He's very powerful. But, but, he's powerful, but. If you look at the rest of that passage in Luke 10, he says, yes, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Look! I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. He says, you have power over the evil one in my name. In fact, he goes on to say, that that probably excites you a bit, but here's the thing. You shouldn't rejoice because, because because evil spirits obey you. You should rejoice because your names are registered in the book of life. You should rejoice because you have salvation. They were, of course, joyful that they could see that the name of Jesus brought tremendous power. Satan is powerful, but he's not more powerful than God. Satan is not more powerful when the believer, when in the name of Jesus, he is brought under control. He may be powerful, but we can't put him into a place of absolute omnipotence. He has power over all things, just absolutely without any sort of restriction. Further, our enemy is, um, we've been using the term rooted. He's got some roots himself. He's got some spiritual roots. He's rooted in pride and rebellion. That's his story. He's all about pride. He's all about rebellion. I, I would dare say that when we look at sin time and time again, most of our sins trail back to pride and rebellion. It's a root, pride and rebellion, again and again and again. I mentioned that Isaiah 14 passage Isaiah wrote, How you have fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high God. When he tempts Adam and Eve, do you remember part of the temptation? God's trying to withhold from you. You could be God too. You could be your own God. You don't, you don't have to put yourself under someone else's authority. You can have all authority over yourself. You don't need to submit to God. He, he, is, he is rooted in pride and he is rooted in rebellion. Further, he is a liar and a deceiver. Everything about him is lies and deceit. And what we need to understand about his lies and deceit is they're not particularly creative They really aren't. More often than not, his lies are based on a subtle twist of the truth. There's just enough truth there that even Christians take a sniff and go, smells right, but ugh, is that rotten cheese? What's going on there? You're you're trying to figure it out because, because overall, it seems like it could be right. 
but he's a truth twister. When you look at the way he dealt with Adam and Eve in, in chapter 3 of Genesis, time and time again, he throws out just a little twist on what God had said, a little twist on the truth. And so you shouldn't be looking for just lies that are absolutely 100% opposed to everything you believe. You need to be looking at what you believe and saying, where is, where is Satan taking what I believe and what I know to be true and just giving it enough of a tweak that it is no longer truth? Cults, more often than not, are based on a lot of truth with some nice error twists, with some really nice error twists. Jesus said to the, to the spiritual leaders of that time, to the religious leaders, you are, of your, you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, it is consistent with his character for he's a liar and he's the father of lies. He can never be believed. He can never be trusted. If his lips are moving, he's lying. First, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Part of his lie is to cause a deception that they can't even, they can't even see the truth for what it really is. They're not able to understand the message because he continues to stand deceit. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 says, This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all its angels. Now, if you're a Christ follower and if you have the, um, the, the, the courage to turn on the news, more often than not, you're sitting there and you're just shaking your head going, what is going on? What is this all about? That's not true. That's not true. That's not true. Why? Because we have a God of this age. We have a great dragon who dominates the truth that is being spoken. And when you're not smelling the right thing coming, the reason is the lies are coming from the pit itself. He's deceiving the whole world, and the whole world is falling for his stuff. He's a liar and deceiver. He's also an accuser. Part of, part of his job is to stand before God and say, have you checked out Brian lately? Oh, he puts on a good show. But, and he lists the buts there in front of God. He does this. He's an accuser. Revelation 12, 10, the next verse after what we read said, Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It has come at last, salvation and power in the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before God day and night. This is what he does all the time. Did you see her? Do you really, do you, was, was the shedding your blood really worth that one? On and on and on the accusations go, which helps us to understand why one of the names for Jesus is our advocate. The only good lawyer in the history of humanity. He is our advocate. He's, I'm sorry if you're a lawyer. Come back, come back. <clears throat> he stands before God and says what he's saying is not true, and here's why. What he's saying is not true, and here's why. You remember, of course, the story about Job. That God says, have you seen my servant Job? And what, is, what does Satan say? Of course he's good. You shower him with good stuff. Take away his good stuff and see what happens. Accuse, 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 accuse. He's also destructive. Please don't think this, this guy just wants to nibble around the edges. He loves taking you down. 
He loves seeing you in the dirt. He loves seeing you defeated. Even as a Christ follower, he loves taking the wind out of your spiritual sails. He loves it. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. His goal, ruin you. He wants to ruin you. He wants to take you out. Now, having said all that, there's one more truth you need to know about Satan. He is already defeated. He's done. He is already defeated. And you may look and say, he doesn't feel very defeated. Well, very, very often in Scripture, we read words like this. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature that was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive in Christ. He forgave your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us. There's that lawyer again. And took it away by nailing it to the cross. That was the moment, right? In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. I love this. Satan is so stupid that he actually wanted Jesus to die. And it was the death of Jesus that gave us our freedom. He was actually used by God to bring about his own end, the end of sin, the end of every evil. He was, he was used in order to bring about that good. The, the war is over. Oh, the battles continue. The mop-up remains. But there is no question. He is doomed. He is defeated. It's over. Four names are given to him in the New Testament that, that as you read, you might go, okay, I get that now. He's referred to as the prince of demons. He's referred to as the ruler of this world. And you think, wait a second, I thought God was the ruler of the world. God rules over all things. He's given Satan this domain for a while as a playground. Go nuts. Go nuts. Your time will be short. He's called the God, notice little g, God of this world, and the prince of the power of the air. You know, sometimes when I'm defining something, I find that it's also helpful for me to look and say, that's what he is, what is he not? Well, God, Satan is not an equal opposite anti-God. Don't get the, the, the idea somehow that we have Jehovah God and his equal opposite residing in hell called Satan. That's not the way. Satan's a created being. He was one of God's angels. He's created by God. He is under the control of God. He only has the ability to do what God permits him to do, what God allows him to do. He's not the equal opposite. It's not as if, you know, someone was sitting down and writing a fantastic novel of war and battle and said, we need two equal opposite forces. Not at all. God is all powerful. Satan is not. You look at the omnis, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. Satan is none of those. He is not omniscient. He does not know all things. I've known some people who say, I don't pray out loud because I don't want Satan to hear it. Um, here's the thing. Satan is a spiritual being. He operates on a spiritual level. He's able to play with your mind. All right? If it's in there, he's able to know. But he can't know, boom, 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 everybody, all eight billion at the same time. The way God knows Every single thought running through every single brain all the time. He is not omniscient. He is not omnipotent. God is able to do all his holy will. Satan is not able to do all his unholy will. He is limited in power. And he's limited in presence. He's a spirit, so he can get there quickly. But he can only be in one place at one time. Further, he is not sovereign. 
God is sovereign. God rules over all things. Satan is under the power and authority of God. Further, he is not a creator. Get this about Satan. I think it's a great thing that C.S. Lewis continues to remind us of in the screw tape letters. He does not make new things. He twists and distorts what's already there. Like I said about the truth, he'll take the truth and give it just enough of a twist that even a believer will go, well, might be, I don't know. I mean, if, if today I were to tell you I've had a word from the Lord, we're to worship the sacred chicken, you, you'd all walk out, right? Sacred chicken, that's nonsense. Are you, are you crazy? Come on. Satan's smart enough to know that you're not going to fall for the sacred chicken line. But there are other things, there are other truths that'll go, what about this? What about this? And even believers will go, I don't know, could be, might be. He doesn't create, he twists. Takes what's good and gives it a little twist. And finally, he is not still in the running. We don't have to wonder if in the end Satan's going to win. We don't have to wonder if somehow, somehow he gets the keys to heaven and, and boots out Jehovah. He's not in the running. He is done. When Jesus says it is finished, part of the finished is Satan himself. So how does this enemy work? How, how, what, what are his tactics? How does he go about working in the world? How does he go about working in the life of a believer? Well, first of all, I think Satan, we see it a couple times in Scripture, he has a three-front attack. We're, we're watching, again, this, this war unfold before our eyes on television, whatever, and we're seeing the fronts, the fronts that, that Vladimir Putin is, is deciding to take on, different fronts. Satan has fronts. He has, he has certain beachheads that he goes to every time, right? Ephesians 2 says, you were once dead in your trespasses and sins in which you walked. You followed the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work of the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind that were by, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So he's got these three fronts that he's battling us all the time. The world, the flesh, the devil. The world, the flesh, the devil, over and over again. What's the world? Well, when he, when he says the world, he's talking about worldview, world understanding of the way life works. And we, you know, we watch, we watch as time progresses. I've lived long enough to see several different worldviews at play in my own lifetime, all of them based in satanic lies, and yet people so easily go, huh, that sounds good. I'm into that. That works. Because they're not thinking from a spiritual place. Satan will use the world's mentality, the world's view in order to influence us. So you've got to ask yourself, what's your, what's your, where are you getting your information all the time? Because the people spewing information to you, they have a world view. And you have to ask yourself the question, is that worldview coming from a godly worldview or an ungodly worldview? He uses the world. He uses the flesh. The flesh is just, it's, it's our desires. It's, it's everything going on in us. Here's the thing. God created you with desires are very, very good. He created you with the desire to eat, to which we all said, thank God. What a great desire. Without the desire to eat, we would die. There are a lot of people that would just, if you didn't want to eat, you wouldn't eat. Why would you eat? I don't want to eat. I don't need to eat. But we can take that desire and turn it into gluttony. We can take that desire and turn it into other control issues in our, with our body that end up being sin. 
Sex is a good thing. It really is. It's a gift from God. It's an amazing gift from God. He said that in church. Yes, it's an amazing gift from God. Without it, we're around for one generation. It's over. Adam and Eve would have said, no, guess what? It would have been a short existence. It would have been over. God gives us desires to keep the population alive. But what do we do with those desires? We twist them, distort them, and make them into something that God said, this isn't the way. And then we have the attack of Satan himself. He'll use the world's way of thinking. He'll use our desires. But sometimes we just get a direct frontal assault from Satan and his demons. Three different fronts. Another view on the three different fronts. John said in 1 John, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from Father God, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. The lust of the flesh, those desires, the lust of the eyes, the desires of what we see, and the pride of life. So let's break them down. Again, the lust of the flesh is just our natural good desires that we allow to take a sinful turn. The lust of the eyes... External attractions. I look around at what I don't have, and I want it. And I'll do something bad to get it. I, I think in some ways, this is where social media has just been, it has been a toxic thing for our souls. How many times have you looked at Instagram, and you see all your friends having you fun, and you're like, they didn't invite me. Your friend shows off the latest thing they got, and you're like, huh. I'd sure love to be able to afford one of those. It's amazing that, that, that Satan will use the gateway of your eyes to go, you want it, don't you? You want it, and you don't have it. God's not very good. He's not, he, he gave it to someone else, and he didn't give it to you. Why doesn't he care? Why doesn't he love you? He uses the lust of our eyes, and then he uses the pride of life, <laughs> Satan's original sin. Pride is all about basically saying, I got this, God. I don't need you. I am my God. And you think, well, I'd never do that. I'll guess again. We all do it. We all have times and areas in my, our lives that we say, I got this, God. I don't need you. It's interesting when you look at those three, these are the exact same fronts that Satan used to attack Jesus in the wilderness. Lust of the flesh, make those loaves into bread. You can do it. Lust of the eyes, all this could be yours if the price is right. Just bow and worship me. The pride of life, jump, just jump. He'll save you. He loves you. He'll take care of you. He uses all three so systematically. It's, it's, it's almost brain dead. We should recognize it coming. He's not horribly complex. One, two, three, one, two, three, over and over and over again. Three fronts of attack. Secondly, he establishes footholds. He's great at establishing a foothold. Told this story more than once, but it's so worth it. We live in this 120-year-old house growing up, four kids, born within five years. And, and, and I'm telling you what, there were more battles over the beautiful doors in that house. Beautiful, old, thick doors. One child on the inside, one child on the outside. Let me in, let me in, let me in. And then the knob turns and the push starts. The push starts and the other person's pushing from the back. Push, 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 push. And, and here's what I knew as the oldest and the biggest. All I had to do was get a foot in there. And once the foot is in there, I win. I win. 
You can lock it if I don't get the foot in, but if I got the foot in, I win. Satan is putting footholds in our lives all the time. And the win isn't immediate, immediately obvious, but the fact that the foot is in, the door is open. The door is open. Ephesians chapter 4 says, stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we're part of the same body. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. He's saying, you know what happens for most of us? We sit and nurture and cherish our anger. We hold it. We think about it. We meditate on it. We even talk to other people. I should be really mad, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we keep nurturing it and nurturing it. And anger inevitably, when nurtured and cherished, turns to bitterness. We have the angry moment and we have to decide, am I going to squeeze the door open enough to let the foot go in? Man, I've lived long enough to see it happen again and again. People who, who are cheerful, people who, oh, they can't wait to see you. And then one day you get the face. And the face says, you did something wrong. And you're kind of like, should I address it? What should I do with it? You let it go on for a little bit. And before you know it, there's just that stew, that brew, that angry face. That, this person used to smile when you walked in the room. And now you get, you get that look. Why? Because anger's turned to bitter. And now you got a stronghold. Now you got a stronghold that needs to be broken, which is the first, the third, and that is he's, he's great at fortifying strongholds, fortifying the strongholds in our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have the divine power to destroy strongholds. This is amazing. We, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So you look at that and he talks about breaking down strongholds. This word is only used once in, in the New Testament. It's a word that refers to dungeons and prisons, bunkers that are very, very difficult to go in, attack, and, and break. And he says, by spiritual power, by spiritual weaponry, these strongholds can be destroyed. Now what you may be wondering is, why, why does he go from destroying strongholds to the concept of taking every thought captive. Why does he go from strongholds to, to talking about uh, arguments and lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God? Why? Because strongholds are rooted in lies. Every stronghold in which you find yourself captive, what you would find is there was a lie that got you there. You started believing a lie of Satan. You started believing a lie and you believed it long enough that before you knew it, you found yourself imprisoned. Rooted gives this great chart of, of 12 different strongholds. I know it's hard to read from where you are. It's in your workbook. Bitterness to forgiveness, control to surrender, idolatry to contentment, despair to hope, jealousy to gratefulness, sexual immorality to purity, false teaching to God's word, insecurity to security in Christ, rejection to acceptance, deceit to truthfulness, fear to trust in God's sovereignty, pride to humility. These are at least 12 strongholds, areas that we believe a lie. And what I love about the chart is every one of them tells you the lie in which the stronghold is based. I won't read them all. Bitterness. I have the power 
and protection when I don't forgive others. Why do I remain angry? Because I'm under this delusion that I'm, I'm in control. I love when people will do that. You know, they give you the snub and you don't even recognize they did it. And later on, you're talking, they're like, I've been ignoring you for weeks. And you're like, sorry, I didn't notice. I didn't, I didn't notice. They were so gripped in their stronghold. They thought they were punishing you with their silence, and you didn't even see it. But why? Because they believe the lie that they have the power when they don't forgive. They have the upper hand when they don't forgive. And so we look at the strongholds, look at the lies, and ask ourselves, ask ourselves the question, Am I living in a state of spiritual defeat because I have chosen, and that's it, I have chosen to give the enemy control. I have chosen. I let him get a foothold. He opened the door and he said, come with me. We're going to prison. Let's go. So we're going to spend some time this week looking at the strongholds, working through the strongholds. Um, I'd encourage you in doing that to think of a verse that Jesus said, Hear, Israel, Lord of God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. You're trying to identify your stronghold. You're supposed to love your Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. So the question would be, where's my replacement love? What am I loving instead of God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? If you break it down, where's your heart? What do you believe will actually fulfill your desires? other than God? Where's your soul? Your soul is life. What do you believe is life-giving? Where's your mind? Where's my thought and focus right now? Where's your strength? What's consuming your energy? What's taking up all your juice right now? It'll help you to start to identify from that chart where your stronghold is. Now, one thing as we close this out, Rooted has been through a couple different iterations. We're on 3.0. And, and they, they, they've kind of redesigned, repackaged, done different things. And as I go back to a previous uh, iteration, I actually like what they did a little better. Talk about the seven rhythms. And one of the seven rhythms in the circle, this is where we are now, is freedom from strongholds. So one of your spiritual rhythms is, am I in a stronghold? It's time to get out. The old word they used was repentance. And I got to be honest, I like repentance better. Freedom from strongholds basically says this to me. Everybody has a stronghold. I don't believe we all do. I believe that the way to avoid a stronghold is to live in a state of consistent repentance. To daily come to God and repent, sincerely repent of our sins to continue that process. It, it can feel a little bit sensational. I'm in a stronghold. Help, get me out of here. We need that. But then when we've gotten out, we need to stay out. How do we stay out? Consistent repentance, short accounts with God, continual repentance. Every prayer we come back, forgive me, God, I have sinned in knowledge, knowing it in action, as well as the things I do not know. So I want to encourage you not just to identify the strongholds, but to adopt a daily rhythm of repentance, a daily rhythm of coming into the presence of God and saying, Holy Spirit, reveal to me where I have offended the Holy God. Live in a state of repentance.
Live in a state of repentance. Father God, help us to let our roots go down deep into you and our lives be built on you. How we pray, Lord Jesus, that you will make us aware of this roving enemy, that we will protect our souls, that we'll take this battle very seriously. For those that find themselves today behind the locked door of a stronghold, we join with them in prayer today. We join with them in their desire for release. We join with them as they they move back into a pattern of confession of sin, not allowing the sin to build to the point that it becomes a binding habit, but instead for today to be the fresh start, that the prison door would open, that they'd walk out. And through accountability of friends and through honesty and through repentance, they'd be able to live in freedom. But then, God, when we attain that freedom, let us not assume we will stay out of the prison if we just do whatever we did before. Help us to live in a consistent state of humility. If pride is the sin of Satan, humility is the purest gift from God. Help us to be humble as we walk with you, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. I don't know what your music platform is. Maybe you're an Apple music person, Amazon music person, Spotify person. Perhaps you are uh, into a little bit earlier convention, you want to watch a music video, or, or you like your, DVD, your CD, or maybe you're into your 8-track. Perhaps you love cassettes, who knows? Maybe you just like the hairbrush, singing in the mirror. I don't know what it is. But if you don't take that song and listen to it at least once a day this week, you're missing out. Because this is what it's about right here. This is about not us just doing effort on our own, but recognizing we are in a partnership with the Holy Spirit, and He wants to break down the strongholds. He wants to break the lies. He wants to tell us the truth so that we can live in the truth, walk in the truth, and finally be free. Finally be free. You have that opportunity before you. And the question is, are you going to grab the key, unlock the door, and walk out? Do it. It is so much better, so much better to live in victory as a child of God than to live in a dungeon as a child of God. Choose joy. Choose pride. Something has to break. Let this be the week it breaks. And we'll see you next week.